on this edition of Conversations. I just want to say, you know, can we can we all get along? Can we can we get along? Remembering Rodney King. It's been 25 years since Los Angeles police officers were videotaped beating Rodney King after a high-speed chase. It became the first police brutality video to go viral. It would have a tremendous impact on how Americans view police use of force in communities of color. And it would forever change the life of Rodney King, especially after the four officers involved in the beating were acquitted of all criminal charges brought against them. Their acquittal led to the violent riots in 1992 that rocked Los Angeles and the nation. He was deeply scarred by the fact that his name then was attached to the riots, and the riots led to the deaths of 54 people. Coming up, journalist Kurt Streeter, who wrote about Rodney King for the Los Angeles Times, shares his recollections of the man he came to know as Glenn. 25 years later, how the life and legacy of Rodney King will always be tied to ongoing concerns about police brutality and race in America. I'm Enrique Cerna, and this is Conversations. Kurt Streeter, welcome. Good to have you here. Great to be here. Rodney King, how did you meet him? And what was that like, that first encounter? Mm -hmm. Well, a few years ago, 2011, I believe, um, I was a a reporter for the Los Angeles Times. And uh, uh, I'd been there for for many years. And I was one of the reporters that tended to to write stories about interesting people in Los Angeles. And uh, Rodney King was one of the people that uh, that I profiled in a a feature piece uh, that came out about, I believe it was about six months before he passed away um, as was when we published the story so it was strictly for uh, for business uh, in a way but along the way and in, in the telling of the story and the reporting of it writing it yeah I, I actually became fairly friendly with him and uh, I considered him a friend and it was a uh, difficult and you know, difficult to, to lose him yeah actually when you wrote about him um, it was what 20 we- 20 years after the riots yes. Yeah, and, coming up on yeah, yeah it was the, the anniversary, and right. uh, uh, so there had been a fair amount of media attention about him, uh, you know, during that period of time, of course, cause with the anniversary. Uh, but I, you know, instead of just going out and doing a quick interview with him, as many people did, uh, I uh, I called him, I asked him if he'd go to dinner with me uh, initially, and he reluctantly accepted, and we seemed to get along very well from there. And uh, instead of just kind of stopping it there, we just continued to meet. So we ended up getting together about probably about four, four to five different occasions uh, to report the, the story more thoroughly than just a one-off. You went deeper. You wanted to get yeah. to know what Rodney King was all about, yeah. the, um, the things in his life that made him who he was and may have also led to that night where he was beaten by the police. Um, he was called Glenn, and you called him Glenn. Right, right. So Glenn is his. Uh, it, it, Glenn is the the name that he's that uh, he went by mostly, and that his family called him, and um, and I called him Glenn. He preferred to be called Glenn. He didn't really think of himself as Rodney. King Where did that come from, Glenn? Well, it's uh, that's Glenn is uh, I believe his middle name, uh, and 
So um, that's just always how he always how he was actually known. So Rodney King was sort of a fiction, which is interesting because he's sort of a in a way he's uh, uh, you know uh, a a mythological figure in our minds, not quite the real. Glenn King, you know, we think of him as Rodney King, and he's this icon. Um, and th- this is what he struggled with. He struggled with the difference between, you know, him being just a regular guy, Glenn King, from from uh, the outskirts of Pasadena, California, and a struggling guy uh, thrust into this, you know, global phenomenon, this into being an icon, into being a symbol for, uh, for in, in all different all different ways. And being seen through many different lenses by many different people. But, to, you know, of course, he's just a regular old guy and a struggling, again, a struggling, broken guy. He would be the first one to admit that. Very, very, very human in his, in his brokenness and his just, you know, the things that he struggled with. It's interesting because before, well, before Black Lives Matter, there was Rodney King. Right. And uh, today he would probably be someone in the midst of all of that. I mean, at least his name, I think. Um, his but, name would, but I don't think he would be out yeah, there. He right, would not be exactly. out there on the front lines. Right. He was never one to, yeah. to do that. He didn't want to be a part of, yeah. part of that. And yet he sort of liked it. He liked the fact that his name and all that he went through pushed the conversation and, uh, and pushed, pushed change. Although, he, although, by the same token, the complication of it, he was deeply scarred by the fact that his name then was attached to the riots, and the riots led to the deaths of 54 people, you know, and 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 over and a billion dollars worth of property damage, one of the worst urban riots in American history. Um, so those 54 people weighed on him heavily, and it really, 20 years later, was still bringing him down. Right. Let's step back. Let's step back to um, the incident. Uh, that happened, he got pulled over by the cops, um, he had, I don't know, was he high? He was, uh, he had been drinking, you know, police tried to, uh, say that he was on PCP, but there was no proof of there, you know, the toxicology reports showed that he did not have PCP in his system. Um, several years, several hours after the, um, the incident, uh, blood, blood was drawn, I believe four to five hours after the incident. And by that time, his blood alcohol level was, was lower than the legal limit. Um, but he'd certainly been drinking and most likely was you know, fairly well above the le- legal limit, um, when they pulled him over. And he doesn't, he does he never denied that. He never denied that he'd, I mean, he was a drinker. He was an alcoholic. He was an addict. And, um, and that night, Got him into quite a bit of trouble. He had had a history too of, uh, you know, run-ins with uh, with police, and um, had recently gotten out of prison actually, because uh, he had been convicted of, of assault or ro- a robbery of a store. And so part of the part of the thing of his thinking that night, the chase, right, was that he was on parole, right? He was on probation, and he as he you know, told me and has told many others, you know, he figured, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm toast. If they pull me over, I'm going back. And so he, you know, he ends up on this high speed chase and, uh, and, you know, the worst thing imaginable, uh, happens and, and he nearly dies. That's the thing. He pays the price by nearly dying, which is, uh, 
you know, being beaten to the to an inch of his of you know of his life. So after he was pulled over and they finally got up to him, um, uh, was he belligerent? He was, yeah, he was to some degree, yeah. Uh, he, uh, he, you know, as, as I recall, he got out of the car and, you know, showed his backside to the cops and he, you know, I think he flipped them off or, you know, so I don't know, I can't recall the exact details, but it's not like he was a completely compliant, right? Um, a, uh, a, you know, suspect or... Uh, he didn't, pull, he, he does he didn't not, get out of the car and, and again, say, oh, here's my, here's my yeah. registration and no, license. And again, he did. I mean, the video evidence is clear and he right. does He never tried to say that he was being, you know, any angel, but, uh, the, you know, the facts of the facts are what they are. I mean, should, should, should one be basically killed or nearly killed, uh, for being belligerent and, and, you know, being, uh, you know, hard, hard to handle, uh. That's, uh, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't really think that uh, it was warranted. I don't think most people looking at that video can, can, can say that it was warranted. And, and the fact is, is that um, it just is a bit of a miracle that the video was taken. Yeah. The fellow that happened to be uh, out on, what is his deck? Out on his deck. So a guy by the name of George Halliday, who uh, I believe was a construction worker, um, just out on his deck. This is in, it's in an area very near Pasadena, um, sort of an outskirts, outlying area of L.A. It's not, a lot of people think that this happened in the inner city, in, in say, South L.A. or what some people South Central, consider right? South Central. Yeah. It, it did not happen there. It happened in the foothills of Los Angeles and in an area that's uh, maybe a little bit more sparse. So even that was then lucky that somebody was around to, to, to see it. And uh, so George Holiday pulled out his video, um, you know, video camera and, Actually, he was just testing it out, wasn't he? I believe so. Yeah. I mean, and then this yeah. is in the days when you know, before phones right. and before you know, right. not not very many people had uh, you know, you know, some people did, but it wasn't like ubiquitous like it is today, where we have everybody has a phone, everybody has the ability to, to videotape. So, and then he offered the video afterwards. He offered it to the police. Right. They said they didn't want it, which was interesting. Yeah. Uh, but then he offered it to the local television stations. Um, and one of the stations picked it up, and uh, next thing you know, um, Rodney King had gone viral, right. and so had the L.A. police, and, and, and a bit of their background and history started to come out. Um, then eventually there is a, a, uh, a trial, a court case. The officers are brought up on trial, um, and they are acquitted. And uh, after that... Uh, uh, all hell breaks loose right. in Los Angeles. The riots start. Actually, as we speak, which is right now the end of April, uh, it was about 24 years ago that the, the riots started because of the uh, decision that had come down, the acquittal, uh, and then, again, all hell broke loose in South Central. And the interesting thing to me is that, you know, uh, Rodney King was really not a South Central guy or an inner city guy, was he? I mean, not really. No, not at all. As a matter of fact, again, so um, he was pulled over very near his the area where he grew up, um, Pasadena, Altadena. I guess I would equate that uh, in Seattle terms, since we're in Seattle, to maybe a federal way. Uh, definitely not like the... What you know, the CD. It was this is a vastly different 
area. Um, right. Although, for, you know, fairly large black population um, and Latino population in that area, absolutely, and historically. Um, a lot of police tension all throughout. I mean, the police tension in, in Los Angeles is not just in South LA. It's everywhere. It's, it's diffuse. If you're a person of color and you're in Malibu, you feel it. If you're a person of color and you're in Ontario, you feel it. It's, it's everywhere. And it, it, it exists today. And uh, it was particularly uh, uh, powerful, uh, I, I, I think, um, you know, in, although I was not in LA, I've re- I reported there for 16 years. I know the city and the, and the region very well. Uh, in the early 90s and in the 80s, uh, the cops and the citizenry uh, we're, we're definitely at loggerheads and it yeah. was a and tough, particularly tough situation. People in communities partic- of color. Particularly communities of color. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. And, uh, many, many different factors going back decades for that. Uh, all, you know, and then you also have, uh, you know, the, in, in the eighties you have the crack epidemic, you've got all sorts of social issues going on. Yeah. Um, so, and the gangs. And gangs. Yeah. Right. Two, two things I'd say about too, about the, the trial, you know, uh, the trial occurred in, in Simi Valley, which is a very white, uh, uh, very segregated area in in in, in um, LA County, and so the jury was, uh, I think, uh, I think there was one Latino and one Asian, but all the rest of the jury pool was white, and they're all, I believe, all citizens of that region. So that played a factor into how people viewed the outcome, because it was it is that is not an area that is. Um, typical of of the region as a whole, right? A very conservative um, area, actually. Absolutely, so. right. absolutely. Very. Yeah. A lot of cops live there. A lot right. of cops go out there and, and live in the Simi Valley area. And so, I think just the fact that it wasn't, um, you know, and it's a nice area, but it certainly wasn't wasn't representative of L.A. County, one of the most multicultural areas and diverse areas in in the country. Um, so that played into a lot of a lot of the resentment. And another thing that I would note too is that, uh, you know, the way that then the results of the uh, of of that trial then ended up, of course, in the L.A. riots. But those there were there were conflagrations. There were riots and and um, and and issues in cities all over the country, and even in even you know I, I believe in Toronto, you know. And uh, I I recall at the time I was actually living in San Francisco. And um, I was working in the inner city in San Francisco. I actually ran a, a, a junior tennis program in the inner city there as a tennis teacher, of all things. <laughs> and when that happened, I remember my students actually, uh, they cut down the nets at, on our tennis courts. And they, uh, they, took down, they took the nets down into downtown San Francisco. And there was looting in downtown San Francisco. And they, they came back with televisions and stereos and... Now you can look at it as that's a terrible thing, but these are all things that these these kids had never didn't really have access to in a way. You know, they were responding in their in their way. You know, to being shut out uh, economically, culturally. Um, so I guess the the point I'm, the overall point I'm trying to make there is that it was not just in in Los Angeles right. where this was felt. Yeah. We should also note that actually two of the officers ended up being brought up on federal charges, right. um, federal civil rights violations, and they did prison time. Right. And so they uh, uh, that did happen later on. But let's get back to Rodney King. Uh, interestingly, he, uh, when the riots broke out, 
he he saw it on television. Yep. And uh, he decides to drive to South Central. Yeah. And check it out. Yeah. As the story goes, he uh, put on a uh, a Bob Marley uh, dreadlocks wig <laughs> to disguise himself and drove down into into the city. And uh, you know uh, he he had, he was he had been just immediately burdened by what he was seeing, and it was a it was a you know it was a terrible shock and a terrible blow to him to uh, to see uh, people reacting in that way because you know as he says he didn't really he doesn't he did he did not view him himself as a violent person and he did not want that. So uh, when he when he went down into when he drove down into South L.A. and saw. You know the looting and the burning and the, you know the violence and the mayhem. Uh, I mean, it was unbelievable. It was a it was a war zone in Los Angeles. And incredible to think back. Right. Uh, he was so shocked he pulled away, and um, you know it was a few. It was I believe you know shortly afterward when he came out and and gave his you know spoke to all of us. You know. Uh, can, can we, we can we get along? Yeah, all get along. Yeah, can we all get along? Right. Yeah. Which was interesting because um, that situation uh, wasn't he? Didn't they like give him a written statement? Yeah, but Rodney can't Glenn, read. Right? Rodney, Rodney doesn't read well. Could not. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't even know if he could read. I mean, you know, definitely at a very low level. So he, you know, that that speech uh, was really a speech from the heart. You know. And it was a, it was an amazing moment. This you know simple, you know basically uneducated guy um, speaking, you know, uh, speaking from the heart in a way that you know he could have he could have gotten up there and if he had said you know let's burn this mother you know yeah. let's let's burn it all down, L.A. would have been in for many many more long nights, um, and he didn't do that and. Uh, I believe that that, and a lot of most observers believe that that certainly helped calm the situation. Um, Can we all get along? Can we all get along? Pretty powerful stuff, even especially today, (laughs) you know. Right. Yeah. Uh, Interestingly, too, um, so he says this, uh, he was dyslexic. Uh, Let's talk about some of the things that people don't know about this guy because you got to know Glenn. You mm-hmm. got to know kind of what he was all about. He was dyslexic. Mm-hmm. Um, he loved the water. He loved the fish. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, the, in the main feature story that I wrote about him. I opened up the story with he and I fishing on a little little pond, a little public pond out in uh, out in Ontario, California, and. Uh, that was a place where, you know, when I asked him, you know, where can we go where you'd be most comfortable, where you're going to really let your guard down and we're going to be re- able to really talk. And he said, you know, you know, Brother Kurt, let's go out to, let's go fishing. So, you know, we spent a day actually looking for fishing holes and out in the outskirts of sort of East, East County, Los Angeles, and uh, finally found this place out in Ontario. And um, it was true. You could see him relax. You could see, you could see him sort of um, lose, lose the tension because he was always tense. He always seemed very sort of, uh, very on guard, very worried about, you know, uh, you know, who was, 
looking at him and, you know, he'd been through a lot. He'd been there everywhere he went. He was still a recognizable face, even though his face literally had changed fairly, you know, fairly significantly because of the, uh, the because of the beating. And, um, you know, I remember when I first met him at this Italian restaurant and we were in Pasadena and, uh, just noticing how, you know, him glancing around, you know, and saying, you know, those people, they, they, you know, sort of paranoid in a way. Those people, they, they, they knew who I am. They're, they're looking, you know, that kind of thing. And so that, again, that was part of his burden, you know, this weird sort of stardom that he, that he had, that, that he didn't want, that he was affixed a to him in a very, very, not the kind of stardom maybe that anybody would really like, right? To be known for a, for a beating, to be known for a riot, um, he could never get away from it. He could never get away from it. As a matter of fact, when in his home, so he lived in a, in a he, uh, it was from the, um, I believe the, the, the civil, I believe the civil case, uh, he ended up with a, a payout of about, I think, $3.8 million, and mm-hmm. um, which ended up after attorney's fees being about $2 million. He bought, bought his mom a house. He did all sorts of things. They ended up losing most of that, but he bought himself a house out in Rialto, California, a little ramble, a little green, as I recall, rambler, and um, very sort of nondescript and a little bit, you know, a little shabby, um, but a home, a home that he was very proud of. And in that that home, uh, you walk in the door and there's pictures, fo- there's photographs, uh, there's Time Magazine on the, on the, leaning up against the wall. There's uh, pictures affixed to the walls that are of the, you know, from the uh, the news coverage, the L.A. Times news coverage. Above uh, fireplace is a is a big blown up glossy photo of him giving the the, you know, can we that get along? Yeah. yeah, can we get along? Um, speech. Uh, there's Newsweek's Time magazines open with Kuhn and and Powell, the officers who were you know involved in the beating. Right. So kind of everywhere you look, there was this media, this, this uh, you know, magazines and newspapers and photographs uh, about what he'd been through. And yet he was trying to escape all that. And it was so this, this, this tension within him. And, you know, he'd said, you know, I, I remember asking him, like, why would you keep this stuff around at all, all the time? So in your face and, you know, and uh, he was adamant that, you know, I can't run from this. This is me. I can't. This is this is this is what made me in a way, for better or worse. And then you go. Um, so I was I was just amazed at that that he wouldn't just. I guess if if I if that had happened to me, I wouldn't want to do everything you can yeah. to forget it all. And yeah. then you go outside and into a swimming pool, and um, you know the pool that he ended up dying in. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was very proud of that pool. And when I first met him, actually, he was cleaning the pool. He always seemed to be cleaning that pool. And uh, he had inscribed uh, the dates of the, uh, of the from the uh, I believe from the the beating and the um, and the riot dates on the on the pool. I may be mistaken on which which what was what there, but he did not want to. He, he could he could not run from it. As a matter of fact, he in a sort way he did his it. most to yeah yeah to to embrace it. Right. So. Um, and he was a he was a he was a contractor, so he would do you know he would he would do things in his in his how he'd be he was building a big fence. I mean he was he was a working guy too, you know he was a, he was a laborer, considered himself a laborer. So he was building this big fence in his backyard. I remember, I remember as I when I got there. So yeah, 
You describe him yeah. as broken. Yeah. Someone that um, obviously had a lot of issues. Yeah. And if you looked in his history as you did, it goes back to his father. Yeah. His father was named Ronald, known as Kingfish. Tough guy. Yeah. Tough guy, apparently with a... You know, drinking issues of his own um, uh, would uh, you know would beat Rodney. You know, according to according to the stories that that that, basically, that we've heard and have been corroborated. Um, very 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 tough upbringing for this young guy, um, and would also uh, he ran his dad ran a janit- janitorial company in Pasadena. So uh, young Glenn was up with his dad. Many, many a night in the offices in Pasadena cleaning, you know, cleaning through the night and then having to go to school. And if he didn't do a good job, he'd get the switch. He'd get the, and the switch was the, the you know, the, the uh, you know, adapter cord. Plenty of whoopings. So it uh, was not an easy existence. Mm-hmm. Um, and his father died uh, uh, apparently in a, drowned, drowned himself in a tub. So... Um, uh, I believe he had a heart, heart attack or some sort of re- issue related to his addiction. But it was, it was a, an odd sort of symmetry and connection there that they both ended up passing away underneath water. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, let's talk about that. Yeah. Um, so you got to know him. You write the story about him. Very good story, by the way. Thank you. Um, we'll put the link up for uh, folks so that they can uh, read that story. Uh you really got to know kind of what he was about, and you you uh, write about it so well. Uh, his love of water. Yeah. I think he, didn't he like to water ski or he surf? Liked surf? Surf. That's surf. what he did. Yeah. Taught himself to surf, so mm-hmm. he became the surfer guy. And the, after after the trial and all that, and he's, he's uh, uh, he taught himself to surf, and he would go down into into like the Huntington Beach area, Newport Beach, and 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 surf and then he and then he he stopped when he saw some dolphins in the water because there's a lot of dolphins down in that area right and for some reason he thought they were sharks <laughs> and and uh i think that was it that was, was, it. That that was, was it was surfing. it one thing I, I i've actually failed to say about his background that i found to be really interesting was the fact that uh you know he was raised a um he was raised a jehovah's witness mm-hmm. and i think people um so he had this very strong sort of religious background. He was not a he was not a you know a strict follower by any means. But his mom was very strict, and the people around him were very strict. And and in that faith, um, I think um, it's very strong on a sort of kind of uh, a sort of a, a, the idea of getting along with all people and with all races and all you know that that's a very strong part of that that particular branch of Christianity and also a sort of pacifism, a sort of a, and, and, and yet a fatalism too about, you know, the world will end, the world is going to end maybe soon. And, um, and, but when it does, things are going to, the, there'll be, and I may be slightly, I don't want to mischaracterize that, that, that faith exactly, but it's my understanding it's, um, the, uh, the, the new world will be sort of a heaven on earth. And and again, it's a getting along, literally even getting along with other species, and able to to you know be with lions and be with and this is much of it is you know, according to how what he told me, and he told me that he had dreams of, you know 
you know, being able to speak or be with be, be with lions mm-hmm. and be with all these other. And even he said one of his dreams was would, would be to to ride on the back of a whale to Japan. <laughs> now that sounds simple, and I you know, but it was also sort of this that to me that sort of brought up the sort of hopeful kind of ide- very idealistic quality to him, the sort of almost a utopian kind of uh, you know strain to him, um, which I just thought, I just thought that was really. <laughs> It's kind of cool, yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, he, so. he was, um, from what I read, and and it seems uh, a gentle guy. Yeah. That uh, if you probably get the alcohol and the drugs away from him, uh, a gentle guy. Yeah. And a very simple, living kind of person. Yeah. Just wanted to be able to work to, to do things to get by. Big, uh, big guy too. Six, big you know, guy. You know, taller than I'm, six yeah. two, and probably two fifteen. He was taller and, and bigger than me, broad, broad shouldered, gentle, definitely a gentility and a softness to him. But also, I get you know got the feeling that uh, you know if he's on the wrong side of uh, of the alcohol and the, you know he he could probably be a bear too. It'd be you know, probably pretty tough to deal with. And he couldn't know, get right? away from that. No, could not absolutely, and he was drinking even when he was with me. I mean, you know how many, how many, you know, hundreds of interviews have I done with people? Um, uh, you know, it's very rare. I when I'm when I've met somebody for an interview, you know, you're representing the L.A. Times, and you come out and you're you're meeting somebody at ten in the morning, and they're drinking vodka already, you know, and they're trying to put he put uh, peanut butter around his on on his teeth to like. To uh, negate the cover smell, up the cover smell. up the smell, yeah. and uh, you know, another time I met him, and he's he was drinking. He had a little flask of champagne, and the you know maybe at eleven thirty in the morning, you know, but he had sort of had to have that stuff, and he admitted it. He's like, you know, this, I, he's like, you know, at the same time he would say he's an addict, and he would say then he'd say I'm not, and I can handle it, and all of those sorts of that that whole kind of game, you know. Um, so yeah, let's talk about uh, his death. Um, the fact is, is that, uh, had he been drinking, was he high on drugs? Uh, the, the, I think the toxicology report showed that there was a little bit of everything in his system, including PCP, which he had, he had admitted that he had had, had struggles with PCP in the, in the past, and, you know, um, certainly had been drinking. Um, uh, and so, you know, the, um, but it's my understanding too. And the autopsy showed that he had uh, an enlarged heart. Um, that uh, so you know the factors of his his you know whatever was in his system may have then triggered a heart attack. Uh, whether that happened, but whether he jumped in, he, you know, he died in that pool, right. um, and uh, was found at the bottom of the pool. And uh, you know whether that whether he somehow fell in and then had a heart attack nobody really knows but there was a you know just a a sad end a sad and broken end to somebody who struggled and and you know i guess he you know in a way he died like sadly like many addicts die mm. you know and um tragic circumstances and far too young what's the legacy of rodney king today well uh, you know, we're still talking about him and what he, what he means and what he, and, you know, those, you know, you have the, you have the legacy of, uh, of, of the, the, uh, reinvigorated or, or invigorated at the time in early, early nineties, um, 
look at the police and we're still seeing, we're still seeing, obviously we're still seeing, uh, issues with police misconduct and that's, you know, hot on, on people's, on people's minds. Um, you've, you've definitely seen a, a, a change, I think in the culture of Los Angeles, in the culture of Los Angeles and the culture of its police force, uh, but not enough, uh, not nearly enough. And there's still, still great tension in that city between, you know, everyday citizens, again, particularly people of color and the police force. But the police force has changed. I think they have to be given some credit for that, no doubt. I was sort of forced upon them, I think, and um, far less militaristic than they used to be. And yet with still a strain of that militarism, that it's, uh, the police are a very different force in that part of the world than, in, say, up here in Seattle, although in Seattle there's plenty of problems as well. Right. Um, and then, you know, the, just the, the, you know, the racial issues and, and all of that. So larger than the police, the, the you know, white, black, brown, black, or brown and, and white and brown relations to uh, structures of, of power, you know, still reverberating through to this day and things that we're talking about in our political, in our politics and in our daily life. Institutionally, institutionalized Absolutely. racism, mm-hmm. trying to break down those barriers. And how we all bump up against all of these you know, institutions and um, and how whether we can get along. I don't know. It's, it remains to be seen. And it's an interesting question to ask, I think, up here in Seattle, too. You know, I've recently moved back back home, back to Seattle. You grew up here. I grew up here, and I recently moved back after being gone, living in California for basically 30 years. And to see, you know, the way this city is and the way the city's changed, and yet this, the deep segregation here. You know, I'm, I'm an African-American who lives in Ballard, and... Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, that's I'm a Mexican American who lives in Ballard. There you go. There's two brown yes. people in Ballard. So. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you know, we're we're still a very segregated, separate society, and uh, you know, the King, Rodney King, and the things that he went through really um, pointed to to all that. You know, decades ago, and as you know, as throughout our history, we've we've had people and moments that have pointed to to this you know most vexing of American issues. In all of the stories that you have done, where does the story rank for you? <laughs> uh, you know, it's pretty high up there. I mean, I've had some pretty some ones that I'm pretty proud of. You know, uh, what I like about this one though was, uh, you know, the sort of the again the kind of the confluence of just being able to cast a little bit of light, a little bit of cast somebody in maybe an unusual light and, and show somebody that people think they know in a way that maybe is, is, uh, is different. And, um, and particularly a person who is, again, is sort of at the apex of all of these social issues and who's, who still the name, his name is still somebody that, you know, people have very strong opinions about that name. And they still, he means something. He's symbolic. He's an icon. And yet, uh, you know, just this guy, just this simple guy <laughs> running from and embracing, you know, all that he'd been through. So uh, it's right up there in my probably top, top handful of stories. Yeah. So it was an honor to be with him. And, I, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was tough when I, one of the, one of the funny, or not funny, but uh, kind of heart, 
wrenching things that happened after his death was his, uh, I believe his, it was his cousin called me and said how, uh, how, uh, sad she was that, uh, he had passed because he had been somehow really looking forward to getting to know me more. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and then he'd, he had liked me or he, I don't know, and wanted to like, uh, you know, I didn't even realize this. I didn't really, you know, and, uh, uh, so it seemed like there had been an opportunity maybe to be around him a bit more. I don't know if I would have, how much I would have really taken advantage of that. But, uh, but that's it. I guess the, the, the short of that is that, you know, he liked his time with me and he felt that he'd opened up to me. And, uh, and I was really honored by that and really touched by that, that feeling. And we're very, very different people. And yet, um, we have a commonality and that we're both black men. And, um, so there's a bond there. And yet he, uh, and now we're not only just black men, we're big black men. And that's, that <laughs> says something in our society. We yeah. both go through something very, very similar. And yet we have very, very, very diff- completely different backgrounds and uh, had a way, he had a great way of teasing me, you know, calling me a square and, uh, <laughs> you know, and I wouldn't drink in front of him and all. And the way I speak is not, you know, exactly. The, but But yet he could see. I think that uh, he could see a, a sort of a bond there. So, and that's always a tricky thing as a journalist. You don't want to, you know, sort of get too close to your to your subject, but you also want to um, you want to embrace them in a way. You did. Can we all get yeah. along? Hopefully, For- we can get along one day. Hopefully, we all can. It would be nice. Yeah. Kurt Streeter, thank you for your time. Thank you for your insights. Thank you. 